Want to hone your craft as a digital marketer and get expert insights from thought leaders and industry experts? Welcome to the How I Work podcast. I'm your host, Josh Becerra, founder and president of Agurian. Follow us on Twitter at Agurian Tweets or subscribe to our YouTube channel for more great content. Now, here's the episode of the podcast. Hey everybody, this is Josh Becerra from Agurian. This is episode 11 of How I Work. I'm here with Ken Marshall, Chief Growth Officer and Managing Partner at Revenue Zen, a company that provides content marketing lead generation services. Thanks for being here, Ken. Yeah, man. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So I wanted to kick this off by going back a little bit in time, ask you about how you even got into digital marketing in the first place, and then the path you took that's now led to Revenue Zen. Yeah, absolutely, which (laughs) we were talking about it uh, in our first conversation before this, but I actually went to university to be a salesperson. I thought that's what I wanted to do. I get through school, I'm in a sales competition from Herman Miller, and I I go tour the office and great company, but I I got the sense like that wouldn't really be for me. So I went and spoke with a, a career counselor, I guess. They were like, hey, you've seen your kid. You should see this whole uh, digital marketing program thing. She had no clue what it was. <laughs> and I took me one information architecture class. It, bl- it blows your mind that somebody can manipulate the search engine, that it's not wizards and magic right. behind the scenes. And I was pretty hooked from there. Yeah, I worked at a few agencies. I kind of got my got my hands dirty, got my feet wet, but I realized at some point I could do a better job. At least I knew I cared a lot and not to say anything about the agencies, but I just knew that I had a certain level of QA that I think is missing and transparency from the SEO industry in particular. And four years ago, that's when I started Doorbell. And as you mentioned recently, a month ago, actually, signed on with Revenue Zen as the chief growth officer to you know take us up into the right. So, yeah, it's an awesome story that you just got moved from one thing to another at one point when you were young and you're just like, oh, this is for me. This is where where I need to be. So I think that's awesome. You mentioned SEO and I know you're like heavily steeped in SEO and content strategy, especially from a a data and page structure perspective. This how I work vlog is all about it's all for SaaS marketers. So. What are some of like the finer points of SEO and content strategy that you think SaaS marketers in particular need to pay attention to? Yeah, I think there's a few like repeatable sort of North stars that I consider that I think can be repeatable across B2B SaaS products, B2C, P2P, whatever the case. And I think the most important thing is to understand like whoever your ICP is, whoever your target customer is, They've got this, they've got this set of problems that makes their life awful every day. Mm. And you've got your XYZ widget that you invented or reinvented, but that XYZ widget is not like, that's not actually their solution. They're their desired solution. Their desired solution is to reduce the QA engineers like costs because of the lack of efficiency. So you're actually selling them that use case. And I think helping the companies like reverse engineer those use cases, those buckets of like solution, use case, feature sets, that's where the real magic is of SEO and a good content strategy. And then mapping that to each stage of that user's buying journey once they land on your site. That seems to just be lost on when we speak to prospects in the beginning. It's like, okay, so we just, we just write some blog posts, right? And yeah. it just comes, keywords. you know, like, what, no. are, what are our keywords? Yeah. And I'm like that. And again, 
the tactics are there, right? Anybody can go do query research or something or competitive analysis, but it's like mapping that to how a user is actually going to go through discovery, learn about a solution, decide that you're the right solution, and yeah. then convert to a demo or contact. Like that's the magic. Yeah, for sure. And like each stage of that customer journey has just a whole different set of topics that you really have to speak to. So understanding what those are and then and then trying to figure out like how to be the best answer to, yeah. to one of those topics, I feel like is is where the special sauce is for sure. Yeah, and it, that is, that's a good way to put it. It's like that top 10, 5% of diving in and saying, is a white paper the right way to answer that person's question, even though the industry is doing it? Uh, is evergreen content of the top 20 trends in MarTech really the way to go? Or is G2 going to eat up that surf? <laughs> and we right. actually should go in another direction because just because it has volume doesn't mean anything. And I think that's where the good companies and strategists win is in that top, you know, five, 10%. And I guess that's the secret sauce is like actual strategy. Right? Yeah, exactly. You can't just always be chasing the high volume stuff because many times it's just really hard to unseat those the biggest players who can really just land in those top positions. So strategy matters for sure. Yep. Or in using, that's actually a good point about those big players. Some people call it barnacle SEO. I just call it good old fashioned. The business listings are business listings. And it's like knowing that they're going to take over those, it's going on there, helping companies understand, let's set up a review strategy for your existing customers. They're like, isn't that for local companies? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's just as important. People are going to use those as their own their own process of vetting a vendor. Or I think we're going to probably get into this a little bit later around tools, but some people have never heard of Search Console. And when you're dealing with B2B SaaS, these amazing humans who are inventing categories, knowing that this term gets 20 clicks but doesn't show up on a keyword tool could be the difference in a $100,000 contract. So yeah. yeah, the nitty gritty matters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially when it's that B2B niche stuff. I know that Revenue Zen has a lot of SaaS customers. And so you've got a great line of sight on what working, what's working, what isn't for those companies. So let's talk a little bit about like common pain points that you might be seeing or strategies that you're recommending to overcome those pain points. Yeah, totally. The, the, I guess I'll start with the two biggest things that come to mind. Okay. The first is that these companies are typically, they've gone through their seed round or series A, they're smart, they're, uh, they have a great product market fit, they have a go-to-market, but it doesn't have anything to, it usually doesn't have anything to do with inbound. They maybe got a team of like SDRs, they've hired a, you know, a company to do some outreach or email list, like list management and outreach. And it's actually great. I think that's actually a great strategy. They're doing paid ads, either on LinkedIn or Google ads. Yep. Tremendous. But what we have to get them to understand is like, even if you're doing outbound, what's the first thing somebody's going to do when you pitch them? It's what all of us do. We go, we pull up your site and we, we, we subconsciously vet you. So we have to get them to understand that a website isn't a brochure or an afterthought. It's a sales tool. At least it should be. And so that conversation is always fun of just saying you should treat this as your, like an extension of your product, right? So when somebody's, somebody's a prospective customer, that they'll land on that and be more well-informed. And I would say the second biggest thing is they're super focused on thought leadership and positioning itself in the market, which amazing, they should be, but it's 80-20. Thought leadership content is gonna be that extra 20% that helps somebody convert, but it's not gonna bring people, it's not gonna fill top of funnel or demand as much as that foundational pillar content is. So 
getting to understand the right mix is very hard. They're very protective, <laughs> but yeah. as they should be of what they've built, but we have to get them to understand, like we need to do both research plus that strategy. So those are the two that come to mind. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I think the stage of the, where the company is as well. So if it's big enterprise SaaS and it's a long sales cycle and all these things, and it's a company that's been around for a while, there's certain ways to, they'll have a certain set of pain points, but then there's a, the brand new upstart SaaS company that's like trying to create a category. And it's all about trying to like actually develop the language that you want people in a future state to start using and recognizing that that's your solution. That's what you can do. So I do think that like the two things that you mentioned are highly applicable for both of those kind of stages and cases. Yeah, that's actually a very excellent sort of like frame to work within because it is interesting. And I'm sure you've had this where sometimes your research is like informing their product messaging or the feature sets. And then yeah. you get into that weird zone where you're like part business partner. Of course you are as far as a marketing company goes as helping them out, but it's, oh yeah, we're forming this language that we need to use, like you said, into the future of who your ideal you know, customers might be together. Right. And it's, and I guess I should have mentioned that our target, our ICP is B2B SaaS companies, two to 50 million in revenue. Typically they're in the seed or series A round. So that is who we go day to day in. But like you said, for those enterprise level companies, they may have just been doing so well off the back of having such good product market fit and PR that they leave out some of those elements around messaging or user experience on the site. And that's really fun because they've got the infrastructure and the money and the desire to grow. And they're just like, here you go, make it happen. And uh, that's a lot of fun. And we saw it bubbling up now with COVID because a lot of these larger, well-established B2B SaaS enterprise players, like they were showing up at conferences with a big booth and a bunch of people who are shaking hands with others and handing out cards and they're doing deals that way. And now it's, oh my gosh, that, that has run dry. So how it really exposed kind of the whole other side. If what you've done has always worked, then why change it? But now with COVID, it's, there's been a realization, I think, for some of those like legacy, bigger SaaS B2B players that have had a model that just totally was crushing it. And now they have to rethink that entire thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, I think that it's a good thing. I think it's a net positive. COVID obviously is devastating. It's terrible. It's difficult for all of us. But I think somebody dropping like 50K on a trade show, right? Like I'm yeah. not going to name any names, but I, that's a real figure of 50K on a trade show. How many qualified like prospects that come, how, like how much did that fill your pipeline? I don't really know. Okay. Would you say five, 10, a hundred prospects? Probably less than 10. Do you know what you could do for 50K? From a, from a content strategy standpoint with probably projected, you can project with a high degree of confidence what the, the, what the sort of demand that you can generate possibly lead gen if you have some back of the napkin in that. And it's, I think that's, it's been eye-opening for some of our prospects, like you said, who came in, the, the, the typical model of trade show to webinar to like live event to getting on their email list, it's a bit broken. And I yeah. think having more of an inbound focus has given a lot of people confidence, but also obviously helped us out and just be able to educate people. And I think that's cool. It's like the, the light bulb going off in somebody's head of, oh, wow. So I don't have to drop 50K on this trade show. They'll come to me and they're qualifying themselves. 
God. Yeah. And <laughs> it's predictable and scalable and repeatable, right? There's just, it's, there's, it's a beautiful thing. You and I both know it. Let's shift gears into MarTech. I know that we're, our industry is just full of tools. So what are some of your go-to tools or data sources that you would say the SaaS marketers who are listening, like you got to have these in your toolbox? Yep. So I'm going to be boring and start out with the basics because I don't see them enough, but then we can get into it. If, if you're not tracking like demos and user actions and phone call as conversions on your site, do it like yesterday. Google Analytics, Aribi, Adobe Analytics, use HubSpot as a platform for your CMS. It'll do it for you. But I'm astounded by some of the projects we come into and I'll start doing some discovery. What's your conversion rate on the site? What's your average like lead value? How many are you getting per month inbound versus outbound activities? Just to orient myself and I'm getting blank stares from brilliant people, brilliant engineers, <laughs> people that will put me to shame. But it's that simple baseline of understanding that you can build into an actual strategy. Analytics, getting conversions down, user actions on the site. I would say just from a basic standpoint of search console, Google search console, go look it up. Most of you have probably heard of it, but if you're a scrappy startup on your own and you don't have a marketing firm, that's a way to understand how people come to your site, what the terminology they're using to find you and ultimately do business with you. So you can map that to your strategy. Yep. Getting into second tier tools, all the SEO basics we have. So like Ahrefs, SEMrush for like competitive analysis, keyword research, all that good stuff. Again. The more information we can get to make decisions about the site, about the content, the better. Mm -hmm. I would say a level past that is I like tools that, that automate certain functions that people do regularly. We use Google Data Studio as our data management um, and being able to visualize information and make sense of it. There's other ways, like I said, to do that, but that one is, is free. And so a lot of companies, it's very accessible. But what Data Studio allowed you to do is pull in all these different data sources put them together in a way that makes sense and begin to notice trends, like particularly year over year. So that allows you to make like more informed decisions. It's something that we use day in and day out. I would say like any quick tool in your toolbar, like we use SEO Quake for a quick competitive gap analysis right there in your search results, anything that you can have handy. And then content tools like Content Harmony is great for building out like not just understanding shooting from the hip of what are competitors doing? What should I build out? What kind of content? But it'll say the lexical similarity or semantic similarity of this is frequent in these top 10 competitors. And then with a high degree of confidence, you can determine how to build out those content out. instead of just guessing, like we should write a 50,000 word blog post. Why? <laughs> the, all of your competitors are on doing 823 and they suck. So just learn and see the gaps. ClearScope does the same thing. SEO Surfer is something we use to determine like optimization. And but basically all these tools are just saying, once you, you have a theory, what is that based in? Can you point to a data set that informed that theory? Then once you produce a landing page, the website, whatever, the titles, I don't know, any of those kind of basic SEO elements, what are you doing to confirm that's correct? And then post, how are you tracking those results over time? And so those are my favorite, like top of mind tools to do that. But as far as CMSs go, I love HubSpot, love Webflow, WordPress. Some people give a lot of flack, but honestly, I like controlling yeah. <laughs> And uh, that's the highest degree of control you can get. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think that there are so many tools. You even mentioned, I think, one or two that I, I'm going to go look up now myself. I do, I do the, some of the writing assistant tools that exist there today. Like we use something called Grammarly and Hemingway Editor. So it just it like helps you ensure that the 
the page that you're actually going to publish has that level of readability that it needs. So like MarTech, we could have a huge conversation about MarTech and you mentioned Webflow. And so now there's these no code solutions that are showing up on the, so anyway, it's super fun. And this has been super fun. You are a plethora of information and a guru of SEO. So I really appreciate you taking the time to hang with us here on, on this episode of how I work. And thanks so much, Ken. This has been great. Yeah, man. It's been fun. And yeah, always happy to nerd out about this stuff. So That sounds good. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the How I Work podcast with Josh Becerra. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. To learn more about Agurian and for more digital marketing tips and insights, head to agurian.com.